Hey, you. Yes, you. Listen to the Aggressive Life podcast right now. We need your help to take this show to the next level. One of the ways that you can do that is by leaving a rating and review whenever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, your ratings and reviews go a long way in putting the show in front of new people. So to say thanks, we have something just for you. That would be to say thanks for you actually leaving a review. You can do that and then shoot an email to Dirt with your mailing address and we'll send you a postcard and Aggressive Life sticker. It's all honor system. So leave those reviews, shoot that email, and you'll get something sweet in your mailbox. Let us know at Dirt at BrianTub.com. That's your real That's email. my new email address. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is awesome. Dirt at BrianTome.com. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Aggressive Life, Brian Tome. How are you? I'm great. I'm very uncomfortable here. You should not be introducing my own podcast. No, well, that's I'm, I'm, we're turning the tables just like Jesus this week. I get to interview you on your own podcast. How about that? Uh, I think I like it. <laughs> you think you like it? Well, we'll yes, find out. Yes. find out. You don't we'll have to find out if you suck or not. Me? You're the one in the hot seat. Yeah, okay. This is the aggressive okay. life. You're always getting people on here talking about being aggressive and living aggressively. But this time we get the godfather of aggressive living himself, you, on your own <laughs> podcast to drop some wisdom on us. Uh, Got a lot of ground we're going to cover. Circles and lines. Clint Eastwood. And speeding up, not slowing down as you age. That's our topic today. Yes, I love it. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna survive this. I think I am. You know, this is a this is one of those odd things where I'm going to be melding my day job with the aggressive life. Aggressive life is not my day job, but um, I love doing it. But this is something that's hopefully going to help people who I interact with my day job. There you you know, and it's going to give all of our aggressive life listeners a a taste of the decisions you can make in your life that are sort of outside the lines of what people might anticipate. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, when you've done that in your day job, I think we're going to get to that. My name, by the way, I'm Kyle Ranson, if you've never heard of me before. From Brian's day job, I work for Brian as lead pastor at Crossroads Church, and I'm pumped to interview him. Okay, let's jump into it. I would say, no matter what you think about God or faith or that stuff, pretty hard to argue that Jesus hasn't had a massive impact on the history of the world. And there's something I know that's near and dear to you, so near and dear it's actually tattooed on your shoulder that he did, super unique, that we're, I want to unpack with you. And it's this idea of Jesus drawing circles and lines, grace and truth. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so I have a tattoo on my left shoulder and it is the yin and yang of grace and truth. I kind of melded Eastern, an Eastern spirituality symbol, the yin and the yang with this idea in John chapter one, where it says Jesus came full of truth and grace. Most people only want one or the other. Hmm. They only want truth. They want to draw lines. Here's who's in. Here's who's out. Here's the behavior you could have. Here's the behavior you shouldn't have. And I'm going to draw a line. And I'm going to tell you about it. And you better step across the line. Or if, and if you do step across the line, then you're out. That's the truth piece. Mm. Um, and Jesus was that. He did have elements of, of his teaching about that. And if you want to get close to God, you're going to have to be used to drawing lines. I'm sorry. Everything is not okay. Everyone is not okay. All thoughts are not the same. All spiritualities are not the same. There is a line drawing. But 
Jesus also draws circles and invites people into the circle. And actually, some people who think that they're outside the lines of acceptability, Jesus actually draws a great big circle and includes them. He's about including people, accommodating certain people's things, giving people grace, allowing people to have behaviors, thoughts that might be unusual, may not even be approved of by God, but God still loves them and includes them. Yeah, this is something I think you've helped me understand a whole lot is this idea of grace and truth. I remember coming to the weekend and you showing your tattoo and I was like, oh my gosh, you got a tattoo and has a yin and yang in it. Is that okay? Is Brian going to hell? You know, all this kind of stuff. And, and one of the things I remember you saying then is this isn't like balance. Like a lot of people say, oh, you know, he's, he's balanced. He's just kind of living in the middle, just kind of nice, easy Jesus. You're like, no, no, no. He was all the time extreme truth and at the same exact time, extreme grace. I think on this podcast, it'd be aggressive truth and aggressive grace, both those. Yeah, I'm not a expert on the yin and yang symbol. In fact, when I went to get the tattoo, it was a Christian tattoo artist and he tried talking me out of it. He said, you know, look, I did some- Really? Yeah, I, I did some research on this and here's what the yin and yang means. And I don't know if you, you know, I don't know if you want that. And I was like, look, man, I don't know what the yin and yang means and I don't really care. <laughs> What it means to me when I look at it, and I'm getting this tattoo to remind me to operate this way, is I see these shapes kind of swirling. Mm. They're swirling in a pattern. And you move in and out of these realms of thinking and being. It's all one cohesive life, but it's really mushy. When are you going to offer truth? When are you going to offer grace? But what's not mushy is you should be great at doing both. Right, right. Hyper high on both of them. Yes. Okay, so naturally it feels like most of us are probably higher on one. We're like a truth-telling person. Yes. Like, oh man, I love to tell people the truth. Put them in their place. Or we're the grace-giving person. Hey, you know, I don't, we kind of cut corners on feedback and whatever. Live and let live. What your are you? Your what's your baseline wiring? My baseline is, is truth. Okay. For sure. And at what point in your life did you figure out that maybe you needed to excel at grace too? It might have been, well, when I actually got the tattoo, it was, I was on uh, my summer break and I wanted a, wanted a tattoo, but I wasn't sure I wanted to permanently mark myself with anything. So I was taking a Sharpie, you know, and drawing on myself and just living with it, see if I liked it. And my kids would actually help me as little kids. They would help me with this, this thing, <laughs> taking a Sharpie and drawing it around and coloring it in, putting thorns around. It always looked ugly, but that was okay. I just wanted to see, well, I want this on my body. Yeah. And that might've been the beginning of it, Kyle, was, was kids because, you know, I'm a, mm. I'm a pastor and I got three kids and I've been around a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of kids who have had pastors as their parents and have just abandoned the faith have not been in love with Jesus and just shucked the whole thing. And I said, how do I have my kids like God and like me? Mm. And to do that, you've got to be able to, to raise up your kid, discipline your kid. There's all kinds of discipline verses in the Bible. You know, if you don't discipline your kids, you don't love them. That's what, that's what Hebrew says. And God disciplines us. And right. you're disciplining because you cross the line. I need to keep from crossing that line. But if your kids don't enjoy being around you, if you're not a grace giver to your kids, if you're dying on every hill, like here's what your hair should look like, these are the acceptable clothes, you can't listen to that music, you shouldn't do that. If you're just all that, you, you will beat your kids down and they're just not gonna wanna be around you. Right. And so that's what I've tried to be with my kids, high on truth and high on grace. Okay, so I know I'm not the only young dad who listens to this podcast. So give me, give me real-time help and give us real-time help. This is, this is me right now too. I, I am, I'm a truth guy. 
no problem. Like, hey, man, that's not right. What are you doing? Stop it. Cut it out. You know, that kind of stuff. And and I, I realized yesterday, I took my boys golfing with me. And like hole number one, they're doing like happy Gilmore swings and you know <laughs> running across the green. I'm like, you can't do that. You're gonna, we're gonna get thrown out of here. Like, what are you doing? You know, right. getting all pissed off. And at the end of it, I I had this talk with Sarah, and she's like, uh, you know, they don't want to go golfing with you because you're like, all you do is correct them. Yeah. I was like, oh crap. Okay, so give me give me real time practical advice. What does it look like to be aggressive with grace with young kids? Okay, so this is this is a good. Good case there, I think, golfing. There's all kinds of rules and you've got to figure, you would have to figure out with your kids, which of those do you really want to draw a line on and what do you want to say, you know, that's okay. Like for me, I would say, uh, you know, kids running across the green, that would be a no-no because anybody around on the course, who sees you doing it, could feel like you're damaging the course. You're going to hurt right. your ability to to be respected in the course. I mean, that that's another. You got to draw a line. They can't can't run on, especially if you've got any form of spikes whatsoever. Right. But if your kids are doing a happy Gilmore swing on the first tee, just which is never going to work for their golf game. No, no, not at all. No, no, no. no. no we, we donated a lot of balls to the water. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not bothering anybody. Fine. Do, do a happy Gilmore yeah. swing. Eventually, at some point, you're, if you're going to play golf, you're going to have to learn that that doesn't work. But I would just say that stuff that is not hurting the course, hurting the members, said, fine, let your kids do it. Give them grace in that area. Right. And this is one of the things I think about God, that those of us who are in the true side, we don't, we don't appreciate. God accommodates people all the time in the Bible. That's basically a form of grace. He accommodates. Mm. He would rather it not be, he recommends it not, but he's like, uh, okay, okay, fine, fine. You, you, you can do it. He accommodates a form of grace. Um, examples. Uh, well, let's go to the very beginning. Uh, he, Adam and Eve, they sin. They eat a fruit they shouldn't eat. They're hiding themselves with leaves. And God accommodates I've always thought, them. like, man, that's really itchy. You know, it's like, like the best thing you could find is like leaves. You know what I mean? Yeah. You ever thought about that? Well, a lot of chafing. I, especially I just learned I'm officially allergic to ragweed. So oh, if, it was, no. yeah, if it was ragweed down there, that'd be, that'd be really, really, really not, not good at all. Humanity would have stopped right then. Uh, Complete. Or, or just been itching forever right then and hawking, coughing, all that stuff. But he is the first person, first entity to kill anything. He kills animals and gives them clothing. Like, hey, if you're, mm. you're going to be this way. You may as well have some good clothes. He accommodates them on mm. that. The nation of Israel looks around to all the other nations. And they say, man, we want a king. We want a king. And the prophet Samuel is offended. He's like, no, I'm kind of the leader here. They're like, no, we don't. We, fine if you are, sort of, but we want a king. And he goes to God and God's really not into it. Tell him, tell him that this is going to mean he's going to tax them. There's going to be high taxes. He's going to bring them into an army, all this stuff. He goes back and says, you really sure, sure you want this? They go, yeah, we want it. And God's like, okay, all right, fine. He goes along with it. Then there's, king, there's kings. Mm. He accommodates them on that. And I just see this as a theme all throughout the Bible that I don't think that many of us on the truth side who believe the Bible are very good at accommodating somebody else in these sort of grayish areas. I'm not talking about let's accommodate our kids when they want to lie. Let's accommodate right. somebody's sexual appetites that's outside of the Bible's defined prerogative of sex, which is mm -hmm. a man and a woman in marriage. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying let's go out and, you know, let's 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 change the rules of sexuality, but I am saying we need to accommodate people when they don't fit into our prototypes. And when someone does, say if someone does have a sexual appetite or a sexual history or 
current practices that are outside what I see, I still accommodate that in terms of allowing them to be my friend, allowing myself to treat them with decency. Right. You know, right. that's a big deal. Right. You're not going out there and picketing anybody and they, get away from me. You're Yeah. No, no nor, tell, nor telling somebody because you're doing this or you're this way, uh, you're going to hell. Right. Right. No, no you're not. You, you, you don't go to hell because of what you do, unless maybe it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Very few people, we don't even know what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, the only unforgivable sin. Yeah. But if you're going to say someone goes to hell for being gay, uh, globbed in that is a bunch of other lists. Like you go to hell if you're greedy. Okay. I know a lot of people who are Christians who don't tithe. You should be going to hell then. Right. That, that's an that, that, that's an absolute uh, biblically. Um, it, it also globbed in there is you know disobedient to parents. That's another one. Like, yeah, I not, did that. We're not saying hey disobedient parents, so you're going to hell. Uh, there's gluttony, slander, gluttony, basically slander, right. basically all of our social media habits. <laughs> yeah. You know. So I'm like, well, calm down, dudes and dudettes. Right. Just relax. Right. It's not it's not living a life that's aggressively like Jesus and it's not living a life that's wooing and wanting people to come and search after him. Mm. Okay, so how how have you seen God aggressively accommodate Brian Town? Well, I'm I'm I do a lot of things that are outside the norm. I'm not sure God is necessarily good with it. I ride a motorcycle frequently without a helmet. Uh, that's that's not in the Bible one way or the other. I'm not crossing it's not? the line. No, it's not. Are you sure? No, There's not a proverb not. about that. Right. Uh, would God rather I wear a helmet all the time? Uh, maybe, probably, I don't know. But I think he's good with it. Yeah. I think he's good with it. Uh, I'm a tobacco user. I, I like tobacco in all ways, shapes, mm. or forms. I'm pretty healthy. I have some. I have a lot of standard disciplines of health. I'm, my numbers on health stuff, biometrics are, are always impressive. My doc tells me that it's all good. So I'm very. But I also do something that I know is physically unhealthy if I if I do it well outside of moderation. Yeah. And uh, and I'm confident God's okay with it. I think I think He's accommodating me on that. I think when I've I've adjusted my job description here and I prayed about it. I'm looking for wisdom. Should I do this? Should I make this change? And I can't say I heard from God. I think I got a sense from God of, eh, if, if, if you want to do that, I, uh, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll accommodate that. That's, you know, that's okay. So yeah. there's, there's, there's three examples right there. Okay. Let's get in. Let's get into that. We're going to get there though, via the very obvious channel of Clint Eastwood and the thing that he said to Toby Keith on a golf course. So obviously that's the end of this. We were talking about this off offline, you and me, and you shared this thing that he said that was pretty impactful. And I'll be honest, I've thought about it a ton. This is probably, I don't know, two or three weeks ago we were talking about it. Yeah. Right. I've thought about it a lot since then. So yeah. tell it's, us that story. I'm packing for it. Isn't it? Yeah. Sweet. How old are you right now? 42. Okay. You're 42. I pieced this together because Toby Keith talked about, had this conversation with him on a golf course. Um, there's some other information out there. I've scrounged the web. I've tried to find the exact clip that puts it in perfect context where he said it. And I can't find the exact clip, but as I look at all these things and the interviews I've heard with him and all that stuff, this is my interpretation of it, my replaying of it. He's asked by an interviewer, he said, how is it that you're doing what you're doing? At that point, he was winning uh, Academy Awards, Grammys for things. Like, now, Grammys are music, aren't they? 
I think so. Okay, I don't think he won a Grammy Award. Not yet. Though he did sing a song in uh, Every Which Way But Loose, I think, way, way back when. <laughs> can you sing it for us? Uh, I don't. I don't remember okay, it. Okay, can you sing? I, he told the story to Toby Keith. Can you sing us a Toby Keith song? Uh, red Solo Cup. <laughs> I fill you up. Proceed to party. <laughs> oh, classic. That, Love is, it. that is a classic. So for people who don't even know this, uh, Clint Eastwood was the, in many ways, the first action hero. Uh, it was John Wayne, and then it was him. He was in all the Westerns, and he was doing spaghetti Westerns. They would film in Italy, and they would have some Italian actors. They would dub over English, and then you'd have some American actors, and you'd have the cast and crew be Italian. You could really drive down the cost of video production by doing it there. No, no you know, special effects or anything like that. And he did a bunch of spaghetti westerns, the best one being the good, the bad, and the ugly. Really, 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 really strong. Nobody, nobody in 1972, three, whenever that was, nobody would have said, this guy who has a monotone voice, is pretty good looking, uh, looks good in cowboy wear, and is filming in Italy. Nobody would have thought 50 years from then, he'd be winning Academy Awards, Flags of Our Fathers, Grand Torino, The Mule. I mean, his best, most creative, unbelievable work was in his 70s and 80s, and no one saw it coming. It's crazy. And so someone asked him, what, what, how is this? How can this be? He said, well, about age 49, a man, here's a knock on his heart. And he starts hearing things like, you're, you're probably a little too old to do that. Hmm. Gosh, that's a younger man's game. It's best for you to just do what you know. And he said, and when you hear that knock, don't let the old man in. Hmm. Don't let the old man in. I've been hearing that knock for a long, long time. And I just don't want to let him in. And it's an aggressive move to say, what do I want to do with my life now? Not based on my age. What, what, are, the, what are the lines that someone would draw for me for my age? But what should I do with that right now? And that meant a lot to me because I'd, I'm naturally in sync with that mindset. But he gave me nomenclature that was so fresh because uh, a couple months earlier, I'd made a commitment, a decision to ride my bike in Mexico. Baja, Mexico is the Baja 1000. It's kind of the, the ultimate motorcycle race. And there's, there's also off-road vehicle races on the Baja Peninsula down in Mexico. And uh, it's kind of the holy grail for adventure motorcyclists to go down and, and ride that area. And I had the invitation to do it. And I really didn't want to do it. Uh, I didn't want to do it for uh, a number of reasons. Now, one is there's a lot of sand. And I don't particularly like uh, riding on sand. Uh, another reason is I go down when I ride. When when you ride off road, if you're not going down, you're not riding hard enough. This isn't like riding on the street. I go down uh, pretty much every day. It's just you don't. Wow. It's unpredictable. It's unpredictable. And, I, and by the way, I wear a helmet when I do that kind of riding. <laughs> just so everyone knows. And your motorcycle weighs how many pounds? Uh, the one I have right now is I think five twenty. Jeez. So when you go down, that's like that's falling on you. No, you're normally thrown off of it. Oh. Yeah, it, it can. If you're, if you're not riding aggressively and you're dog paddling, like you've just got your feet down, little clue, if you're watching motorcyclists on the street, 
the way you know that person does not know how to ride is when they come up to a stop sign or when they leave a stop sign, if they walk their feet one or two steps before or afterwards. If they ah. if they've put their foot, they're going around a turn when they start and they put their foot out way left, that's a person who doesn't know how to ride. Huh. That's, that's a broken ankle waiting to happen. Uh. Because if you're doing that with your feet, when your bike does fall over, it falls on you and you break your ankle. I thankfully have never... Uh, had a bike trip end because I got hurt. Um, I've gotten hurt on, on a bike before. Broke my dislocated my collarbone. As you can see, it floats up there. Mm-hmm. I, I've had some injuries, but I've always been able to get back. But in Me- in Mexico, there ain't no cavalry coming. You could take your little spot GPS device, which I have, and press the button, and no one's coming unless you're buying some expensive insurance policy. Um, for someone to come there, there, there's no ambulances there. There's, there's very few hospitals there. And, uh, so all that was going like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do. Then, then, then it dawned on me. I was thinking as I was interpreting all of those potential scenarios that if I was 40, I'd have been like, hell yeah. I, I would have never thought that there's not ambulances down there when I was 40. When I was 40, I would have never said, well, I don't like sand, but I, I'm, you know, I, I'll do it because you're, you're, you're young. You're, <laughs> and you're 40. You just go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't have thought about it. And so when I realized that, I said, no, the only reason I'm thinking this way is because I'm 58 right now. I'm going to do Baja. And so I actually leave tomorrow. I actually leave tomorrow Come to do a trip. On. But Clint Eastwood, uh, when he said that, it was just affirmation. When I heard that he said that, I was like, yeah, that's, that's why I need to continue to live my life. Did- Okay, he says he says forty nine, which is like very very specific. Is that about when it started for you? Because I hear that right now at forty two, and I'm like, I can't. I I still think I'm twenty three. You know what I mean? Like I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh wait, that's weird. But that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. There was two for most of us. I'll just speak for myself. The two biggest milestone birthdays are when you're forty and when you're fifty. They're the worst. Yeah. Because when you're forty, you're no longer a young leader. Yeah. When you're a young leader, when you're in 30s, there's all kind of grace that's given you. Mm-hmm. All kinds of things. Like people expect you to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You make a mistake. Well, he's a young leader. He's, he's learning. Uh, you're expected to do stupid things. And there's also the anticipation of my best days are coming. Yep. I'm putting skills in the bank and memories in the bank and knowledge in the bank and experiences in the bank that is going to mean someday it's all going to come together and my life is going to click. That's all happened before 30. When you turn 40, all of a sudden you realize, oh no, I'm, I'm grown up. This is now prime time. This is, I'm supposed to have had it figured out right now. And there's an incre- there was an incredible amount of pressure on me at 40. Like, oh wow. You know, when you turn 50, the next thing happens, you go, man, I'm, I'm, if I'm not old right now, I'm almost old. Hmm. I, I need to start getting ready for the end game. This this is the end game. When you're 50, you're starting to think things of all those people who told me to max out my retirement account and I didn't do it when I was 30. I wish I would listen to them because now retirement or at least earning less money is in the is in the windshield. You can see it. It's it, it's right there, and you start thinking that at 50. You start. All these thoughts about end game, end of life, start entering your life when you're 50. And uh, and they shouldn't, but they do. Huh. Yeah, I this is my experience. I I feel like uh physically I feel I feel great, right? I don't slow down. But right around turning 40, that exactly what you describe is what I felt. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm in my 30s, full of potential. 40. Okay, crap, time to fill all potential 
right now. And it also felt like right. there's this idea of the prime of your life, or the prime of your career. Right. And it felt like I went from being too young, all of my 30s, you're too young for that, too young. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, you're too old because now you're, now you're 40. And, and, it, right. and it felt like the prime was so much smaller than even I realized. Like it was like, oh, the prime is like this, it's like a year and maybe you missed it. Right. But I think what you're, what you're right. picking at is like, what if the prime of your life wasn't a year or a decade, but it was, I mean, in Clinique with Eastwood, 50 friggin' years. Prime, yeah, prime, his life was in his 70s. That is the prime. I don't know what he is now, 85, 86. His last movie he made was, I thought was awful, Camacho. I didn't watch uh, that one. Yeah, it was, yeah, I just, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was very good. But, you know, his, no question, his best stuff happened post-70. And for many Americans, we're wanting post-70 to be golfing and watching prices right. That that's what we're right. wanting. Right. And uh I, I'm all up for more golfing. If that's that's what's gonna happen when I'm post seventy. But the idea of this is when I stop contributing to society, this is when I stop making aggressive moves. That is I'll just draw a line right now and say that's unbiblical. Right. One of the great ones in the Bible, Caleb. You know, he's eighty. All the uh the spies go over the Jordan River, they spy out the land that's supposed to be the promised land. God's giving it to them. He's promising to them. But is what he's doing, he's not promising that he's going to give it to them in our definition of giving, which is I passively receive it. Right. His idea of giving the promised land means I'm giving you permission to go fight for it. And so as they cross over, um, they start dividing up who's going to get what territory. And if you get the certain territories, that means you have to fight for that territory. You got you to drive out the enemy. And Caleb says, give me the hill country. He's 80. He said, my hand is just as strong to hold a sword as it was back when I was younger. Give me the hill country. Why the hill country? Well, that's where all the richy riches live. Mm -hmm. You got the best views up there. It's the prime land. But if you're going to take a hill, it always means a steep, rocky climb. Mm -hmm. He's choosing a steep, rocky climb instead of down the valley where there's a you know, where there's maybe a lake down there. Mm -hmm. And that's a model for all of us. He's one of the heroes of the faith. And I just don't see people wanting to take new hills when they're 80, 70. Shoot, dude, shoot. I, I don't see it when they're 50. I don't right. see it. When I go hang out with other people who are my in my peer group, that is senior pastors uh, of mega churches, for the most part, there are exceptions, for the most part, People are coasting on what they've always done. Hmm. They're just refining what they've done. They've got their patterns for their life, and they're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. So, you know, I was in one group with a with a few of my peers, and I I just kind of lost it on them. I, I said, "Look, dudes, I'm sick of talking about adding another site. I'm sick of talking about succession. Mm -hmm. If." Us adding another site to our churches was going to bring a spiritual awakening to our to our country. It would have happened by now. It's a, adding another site's not going to do it. But by the way, I do believe in adding other sites. Crossroads is going to be adding additional sites. That's part of why I wanted to promote you to lead pastor. I, I've done that however many times now, and um, it, it it is invigorating to me. It's invigorating to our church. We need to do as our church. Yep. But that boots on the ground, making that happen. 
that's not the kind of work I want to do. I want to oversee you, be involved with it, use my discernment, definitely put my weight into it. But like that being my defining thing, I, 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 I don't personally want to put my time there anymore. Mm. I want to put my time towards, towards something else. Succession. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is it really this bad? that we've developed no sons inside of our ministry or daughters who could take over for us, mm. you know, that we've not discipled anybody, that we've not made a, an open playing field for leaders inside of our organizations to stretch themselves under our tutelage, under our guidance, correcting them, helping them, picking them up, dusting them off. Is it really come to the place where we're not discipling and developing anybody, so now we gotta be talking about it? Why, why are we talking about this? It's because the average pastor doesn't develop leaders. He doesn't do it. He's not thinking beyond himself. He's thinking about himself and his life, and he's gotten stale, and he's doing the same old, same old. And then finally, he can't take it anymore, so you're going to call in a, a headhunter to go find you somebody else, to pluck somebody else out of somebody else's ministry. Right. That's it's a big play. problem. Right. So I'm just going like, we got to start talking about different things here other than right. sites in succession. We've got to start throwing our leadership weight and the resources that God has stewarded to us to maybe bring about an awakening. It's going to mean something's going to have to be different. We're not going to incrementally manage our way to a, a national awakening. We're not going to have better systems and processes. Let's have better systems and processes. Let's do better management. Let's have people who do those things as sort of their calling. But we've got to have some people somewhere in the kingdom who have a dream of something that people haven't seen before and are doing it. Those are my heroes. My heroes, the people who inspire me, aren't the people of large churches. They're my friends. I do get, I do get pushed by them. It's not, the, it's not the mega church pastors of old, whether they be, whoever, put whatever name in, Robert Schuller, Bill Hybels, uh, whoever, who ended well or didn't end well. Those aren't my models right now. My models, people I'm inspired by, are people like, like Jim Rayburn the founder of, founder of Young Life. I, he has this dream of let's get kids who don't go to church. He said, you want, if you want kids to go to Sunday school, don't have it on Sunday and don't call it school. <laughs> yeah, besides that, <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And he like, let's meet in people's homes. Let's like get, try to get football players, people who go to church, cheerleaders, geeks, band people, whoever, inside of homes. Let's do some songs, make it fun, do some stupid skits, give a 20-minute gospel presentation. And then it grew, and he outgrew homes. So he's meeting, in, he's meeting in funeral parlors, going to a local funeral home and saying, hey, I got now 200 kids, no household holder. Can I have a thing? And then like people want to do it, so he starts saying, you can come be a part of it. You just have to raise your own salary. You can be part of Young Life. Wow. Raise your own salary. Great. You want to be on staff? You can be like, raise your own salary. Wow. And then he goes, we need to get a camp. Let's go out. I like Colorado. Let's, let's go buy hundreds and thousands of acres and take kids out there and put them on horses where they could break their neck and take them outside of the cities. And then just add another one and another one. Let's go to Malibu. Oh, there's a property in Malibu? Uh, yeah. I'm going to trust God to raise the money on that. And he says, this vision explodes and Young Life is going right now because... He did something someone wasn't doing. He, hmm. he dreamed. He stepped outside of the line of what you did in youth ministry. Hmm. Same with Billy Graham, 
Uh, Bob Pierce with World Vision. I'm, I'm reading some of his stuff right now. Oh my gosh, the the things these guys would do to sacrifice and bring the poor. Um, Hudson Taylor going with China Inland Mission, yeah. going over to reach people in China and telling people, okay, you're my missionaries, you're raising your sport, you're going to have to start growing your hair long and braid it because that's what these guys do. All the guys here, they braid it long. They have, this is an era of American church history where... You, people believed if your hair was past your ears, you were going to hell. You were trying to be effeminate. You were, mm. you were, tro- you were cross-dressing is what they believed. And now, no, we're going to all grow our hair out to identify with these people and, and do something bold. Every time, Kyle, the kingdom goes forward, it's with a new bold move. It's not with best practices. It's right. not with better management. And that's, that's where I want to throw my weight. Flying K Ranch. Today's episode is brought to you by them because I believe they're producing some of the most mouth-watering, healthy burgers, steaks, roasts I've ever had. They're in Findlay, Ohio. Flying K raises their beef with no hormones or antibiotics, so you know you're getting the most natural product. It's a family business partnering with state and national certification boards to ensure both cattle and customers are happy. You can find out more, place your orders at Flying kranchangus.com that's flying k ranchangus.com i'm liking it a lot taking care of your health isn't always easy but it should be at least simple that's why for the last 2 years i've been drinking ag1 every day no exceptions at home on a hunting trip Camping off my motorcycle, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel ready to get moving. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I like to have it in the morning. I have a 12 ounce of water, so right off the bat, I'm I'm helping my hydration every single morning. This is the one product, if I had to recommend one, I'd recommend this one to elevate your health. It's AG1, and that's why I partnered with them for two years. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash aggressive life. That's drinkag1.com slash aggressive life. Get yourself some. Well, and there's something really interesting there too, because I feel like um, there's a there's a general misnomer that innovation and creativity is a sport for the youth. You know, that the, the big innovation is going to come from the 23, 24-year-old, which I'm not saying it can't. For sure, it, it can, it has in history. But I don't think any of those guys you mentioned were 22 when they when Jim Rayburn ran out and, and did the whole thing, was he? Yeah, Jim Rayburn was probably 35 or so. Got some experience under yeah. his belt. It is an interesting thing. I've studied this a bit. And it is true that if you look holistically at, um, at humanity... You know, the biggest breakthroughs are coming from people in their 20s. Hmm. Uh, you look at the who. The who's still, not the who, the who too. 
that to my point, but the Rolling Stones, right? Yeah. Those guys are still playing, but they haven't written a hit song for decades. Right. Uh, why, why is that? Is it because chemically their brain is not capable of writing a new song? I don't, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that's true. Mm. If that's true, then that'd be like saying, chemically, you can't take on a new habit or discipline when you're 70. If you've never read the Bible before, then you can't start reading the Bible when you're 70. Mm -hmm. If you've never noticed that you have a bad friendship pattern and you can't develop, you can't start when you're 70. Mm -hmm. It may be harder when you're 70, but I'm sorry, I just don't believe that you can't have a creative idea and execute it on it when you're 70. I think that I think that we look around when we're 70 or we're 60 or we're 50 and all of our peer is just doing the same old, same old. When we're looking around you're 20 and 30, you're seeing more people experiment. I think we need to have more people experimenting and that's what, Clint Eastwood did. Hmm. So is that the challenge at 58 is the gravity of your peer group is slowing down and you have to fight that? Like, is that the biggest challenge? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a number of things. Um, there is the gravity of your peer group and uh, we all have, we all are affected by peer pressure. That's it. Uh, you do have less energy when you're 58 when we came in to do this interview at 10 o'clock on a, on a Monday morning instead of 11, I take off on Monday mornings until 11 now, which I didn't do when, when I was 30 and 40. I, I had a men's, men's group at 6.30 a.m. on Mondays mm. for, like, for a decade. Like, that's it. I could, I could do that. And then like, ah, gosh, I got to recover from the weekend. I, I, I just can't do it. So there, there is, there is less energy. So you've got to then figure out how do I manage the precious energy I have? Hmm. How do I infuse more energy in my body? Whether it's, you know, how I work out, how I eat. I started taking testosterone injections about a year and a half ago. I, I now have the testosterone of a 35 or 40 year old, I take one. I took one this this morning, Monday morning. Why would I tell this? I'm just hey, anyone can go to school on me. If you want to go in school on me, you can. If you don't want to, you know, don't need to. Uh, I'm not juicing. I'm not doing um, steroids. I do one injection in my butt on Monday mornings, and it makes me feel better. It gives me it gives me a bit more energy. And even if it's a placebo, fine. Sure. <laughs> I want to trick. I want to trick my mind. And my wife, by the way, she would tell you it is definitely not a placebo. That's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, but managing. Dirt likes that one. Look at that. He's in there laughing. Managing, managing my energy, doing what I can to garnish as much energy as possible from other sources is critical. And I just don't see people in their 50s or 60s doing they're They're, they're doing same old, same old. Right, I think the, and that's not where creative breakthroughs come from. Which, which is, by the way, also why why I'm doing new hobbies. It's because new hobbies give me new insights and I have new creative breakthroughs from it. Mm -hmm. There's a refreshment that comes from that. Right, right. Like uh, the, the kind of books I'm reading, like the next genre of book I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into is I'm going to uh, start jumping deep into um, uh, America going to the moon. Oh. Yeah. Whenever you're, you get emotional by, about something, like something brings a tear to your eye. Yeah. Like, ooh. I was on a plane and I was watching, um, I think, I'd seen the movie before, but I was younger and it didn't affect me. Uh, first Man Walking. Oh, was that the... Uh, oh. Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Ryan Gosling is Neil Armstrong. Yeah. I'm always tearing up just talking about it. Just, man, it touched me deeply, deeply. Mm. Um, 
Robert Kennedy was speaking at Rice University, not RFK, JFK, was speaking at Rice University in Texas and his thick Boston accent to a bunch of Texas guys, right? And he starts laying out this vision. He says, why do we want to be the first country to land a man on the moon? The same reason that Rice wants to play Texas. <laughs> Rice is a small school in Texas. Uh-huh. Texas. I don't know a lot about college football history, but obviously the Longhorns would have trounced them all the time. He said, because it's hard. <laughs> with his, with his, with hard. his, yeah, with his, with his Boston accent. We choose to go to the moon because it's hard. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God. Come on. I know. And you think about our country. Someone told me about a series that's out on some platform. Um, maybe one of the listeners can tell me, tell us about it. And I want, might want to watch it. The series looks at what would have happened to America had Russia been the first person to land somebody on the moon. Hmm. Like that did something for our psyche totally. as a country that told us we're winners. We beat the Russians. You know, we were kind of peers in World War II, but now we know we beat them. We got there. We're, we're, we're innovators. Uh, the more innovators in the, we take bigger risks than them. That that did something for our national psyche. Well, because we were kind of tied with them from an innovation oh, yeah. standpoint at that point, right? And I'm just imagining the last 50 yeah. years of human history, how many innovations that come out of Russia versus America? Yeah. Holy well, crap. Right. And they were ahead of us, actually. In the space race, they were doing things in space that were beyond us. And they finally said, no, this is this is not good. We, we got to change this like right wow. now. And that changed the trajectory of our, of our country. And, you know, those of us who live in Cincinnati... It's true that when the Bengals were losing, kids didn't have as high self-esteem. It's really weird. Wow. It's, but the city didn't have as high self-esteem. But now they're winning. Like It's up there. That's right. That would have affected the trajectory of our country. And that happens not because someone just tells you you're a good person. Someone tells you to feel good about yourself. We have a self-esteem crisis. Let's make kids feel good about themselves and tell them they're loved and tell them they're valuable. I like that. That's good. Tell them you're loved, tell you're valuable. And tell them to do hard things. That's right. Because when they do hard things and they do it, their self-esteem goes up. Their confidence goes up. But when you're not doing hard, uncomfortable things, it is not possible to grow in self-confidence. You're just growing in delusion. Right, right. Now we're back to circles and lines, grace and truth again, right? Right. If if it's all grace all the time, oh, you're good. Oh, just just the way you are. You just be you. You just be you. What what is that you just be you? Some ways if someone says that, I'm like, okay, you just be me. Um, You just be you. So, Brian, keep taking risks. Okay, you just be you, like... You're 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 drawn to you're drawn to pornography. So you be you. Yeah, be you, man. What what is that? But we we can't even see that that can be destructive. Right. That's right. Yeah. This is awesome. Uh, by the way, you're gonna like your next meeting. That's all I'm gonna say. If you're Why into the moon, I, I can't tell you. Okay. Just, you're gonna like it. All right. And in a long time from now, people well, you might... Well, you don't run my life now. Wait, now, now you think you run my life? You're no, telling me what I don't my think next I, meeting no, is? No, 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 no. I know right. what your next meeting is. I'm part of it. I know what's going to be shown to you. I don't think you're going to like it. That's remember all. This. You report to me. <laughs> I am still in yeah, charge. Yeah, well, I took over your podcast. Uh, How about that? Oh, uh, shoot. Ah. The slide is starting. <laughs> it's amazing. Now, I think there's something... I just want to say the most unique thing about you, I think, is this topic that I've seen. I've known you for 20 years. You've been a pastor for 20 years. I think I was literally like 19, 20 years old the first time I ever got a CD of a message from you. Right. And there was something about you, you wanted and saw more 
more was possible and you were calling everybody to it that got me then and gets me now. And I think now at 58, I don't think this is, this is hyperbole at all. I think you have a bigger, clearer, stronger vision than you ever have for more. And I just like, it's, it's mind blowing. It's inspiring. And so, yeah, I'm happy to work for you and keep going. What I'm missing on what I'm missing right now is I have a vision for more. What I'm missing right now is a clear roadmap on the next steps. Yeah. You know, when I was a 30, it was a very clear roadmap of what to do. Start a church, start a church that plays by different rules, have music in the church that is the same caliber and decibel level of concert music. Um, everyone does that now, by the way, like everybody. Right. We, were, we were, we were the only, we were the, we were, we were the only, um, and, and that was a new thing. And, it, and then it was 35 was like, get a building, get the church. And then when I, when I was 40 was get sites. There's a, how do you get, and there, you know, those are where I am now at 58 is, uh, there's some things I want to put more time into, but I don't have a, a roadmap yet of, of what the critical path looks like, you know? So that's, yeah, yeah I'm praying for that and wanting that. Yeah, but that's not stopping you not having no, it. No, it's not. You're no, just going to keep going. Okay, right. so we're, I think we're towards the end here, lightning round, okay? What is... We could be towards the end and we could just push off your 11 o'clock meeting. No, you you want the 11 o'clock meeting. I do, okay. Yeah, right. you want it. Okay. I don't right. know if it's 11 or 11.30 actually, but it's sometime in there. It's a, it's 11. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I don't know when you're going to present the idea. So at, at 11, if some oh, other- Oh, you want me to present this no, idea? No, 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 no. At, at, when it's going to be presented to you. I'm just saying if at 11, something boring happens, that's not the idea. Okay. Okay. You'll know when you know. Okay. That's, that's, that's the preview. Okay, good. What is, lightning round questions, what's your biggest aggressive plan for the next year and how are you going to run it down? I don't have one. That's, that's what I just said. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have one. Okay. That's, that's, that's what's disheartening here. I have- I've made space for the next thing in my mind and my schedule, and I'm waiting on God to give that to me. I think that is aggressive. Yeah. Okay. Well, that. Well, okay. Well, that's true. That it was. It was very aggressive to name you lead pastor because um, there's a lot of stuff that you're doing now that I like to do, and I didn't necessarily want to get out from underneath it. Yeah. I mean, when you have a church of our size, you got 350 staff members. Like people say, well, what do you want to stop doing? Like. I stopped doing that stuff a long time ago. <laughs> right. So now we have 350 people making copies. I don't know what do you. <laughs> right, it was a long time ago. So I, I, I like my job. Yeah, I just sensed from God there was there was something more. Yeah, and I needed to make a, a change to understand that. Right, and that was entirely aggressive to let go before right. you're clear on the what is the exact next thing. What right. does it look like? In a, yeah, right. And it's all 100%. you know. My, my schedule still looks the same right now. I'm. I mean, I'm in the same time on Mondays I normally am, leaving the same time. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little more travel now because you've offloaded me with some things. That's, at least that's the last month I'm doing a bit more travel. But um, I'm waiting for the pieces to come together. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, last question. For those of us who are at some point, maybe we already have heard the old man knocking on the door, maybe it's still a decade away, give us the lowest hanging fruit. How do you keep that guy out of your life? I think there's a few few ways at this. Uh, I'll borrow a phrase that's oftentimes bastardized and say, you need to do what works for you in this area. You need to find out like your thing. Mm-hmm. So I have two things that I toggle back and forth in my mind that helps me do that. One is I look in the Bible and 
every person who's a hero in the Bible did something new that they didn't want to do. Hmm. Every person, go, go to the hall of faith, look at Hebrews 10, Hebrews 11. All those people did hard things. That's why they're heroes. Jesus is a hero because he went to a cross. He's not a hero because of his miracles and his teaching. He's a hero because he went to a cross and came back from the dead. Rahab was a hero because she ratted out her countrymen because she felt the call of God to support this, this place called Israel. Moses is a hero because he did something he didn't want to do. He, he didn't want to speak. He didn't want to lead. And he did, and, and the nation of Israel came out, and it was a horrible time for him, by the way. Horrible. Mm-hmm. It was difficult. You know, when God gives you a vision, hopefully it's going to end with the land of milk and honey, but from where the vision is to the land of milk and honey, it is going to be crossing rivers. It's going to be fighting battles. It's going to be decades of famine, as was the case with, with Moses. It's not going to, it's not going to meet it, which is why very few people, they ever live to see a vision come to reality. They just give up. They can't, they can't do hard things. They think that if God's in it, he's going to give it to them. And this is also why so many people are abandoning their faith. They, we, we think that God's job is to make my life easier. Right. It's not. It's not his job, not even on his radar. Yep. He may bless you because he loves you. And he also may bless you because he wants to use you. And as uh, someone once said, he whom God loveth, he kicketh the hell out of. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. It just, it just, it just happens. So I, I do that. And then the other thing that I do, and, and looking, looking at those heroes in that template, the other thing I do is I say, at the end of my life, what's going to make for a better story? Huh. What makes for the best screenplay? That's the adventure. Mm. You know, it's it's not a great story. He retired at 65 and took his stock options and, you know, finally got to travel the way he wanted to travel. The better story is doing the next hard thing that's in front of me or the next thing that I feel uncomfortable about because I'm not seeing somebody else do it. So if they're not doing it, maybe should I not be doing it or is somebody missing something here? Yeah. What what makes the best story? Yeah. That reminds me, there's a verse in Ephesians 6 that I saw when I was like 20 years old. It's right before the armor of God. And it's this, it's this like image that Paul gives of, it's it, I forget the exact language, but it's basically like a soldier getting to the end of their life. And he says, having done everything, I'm still standing. Like I'm standing on my feet. I just picture like this gladiator who gets the end right. of life and it's like, I didn't get knocked down or I did, but I got back up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm still, I, I never stopped. I never sat down. I didn't, I didn't retire. I didn't take a break. I didn't slow down. I went all the way through the finish line, pushing hard. Yes. It's awesome. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. Fantastic. Anything else you want to say? Uh, no, I think this is, this has been good. And, and um, yeah, I wish it. No, I think you, you teased it out of me really well. Thank you. Perfect. Godfather of Aggressive Living, finally <laughs> I, on I, his own podcast. I don't know that I like that title, but I'm, I feel a sense of honor by it anyway. <laughs> Godfather of Aggressive I like it. Come on. Uh, That's yeah, good. Well, um, you know, on the podcast, there's a lot of things that that we say that I wouldn't say on stage. Huh. Uh, just It's two different environments. Sure. I just want to be helpful, and I'm thankful there's a community here in the aggressive life that uh, that wants that and tunes in. Amen, man. Super yeah. fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. 
Thanks for joining us on this journey toward aggressive living. Find more resources, articles, past episodes, and live events over at bryantome.com. My new books, a repackaged edition of The Five Marks of a Man and a brand new Five Marks of a Man tactical guide are open right now on Amazon. If you haven't yet, leave this podcast a rating and review. It really helps get the show in front of new listeners. And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.